Welcome to Sonic Talk number 200, uh, 300 even, and 19. There I was all prepared and then suddenly I wasn't. Uh, Gaz is now fiddling with the remote. I'll get that sorted out in a sec. Anyway, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we've got a visitor in studio today. We've got Gaz Williams, who's uh, right there. I'll just uh, give him his uh, little third as well. He gets everything. Look, he's in HD. Well, <laughs> HD? not really. You're not quite HD. You're in DV, but it's oh. widescreen DV and it's ah. sort of real time. So you're not pixelated today. Ah. You'll be pleased to know. Gaz uh, came down. You've been um, in the area. Yeah, I've, uh, I've just, I'm just in a rehearsal process for a new project that i'm going to be playing with uh, david rhodes who's uh, peter gabriel's guitarist and playing on david rhodes's new album uh, not on his new album actually so we're just going to be playing some shows in support of his new album which is good uh, playing bass uh, and that's with uh, jed lynch on drums a little trio power trio um jed lynch is peter gabriel's drummer as well so i feel very pleased to be playing with such good good musicians excellent i've uh, yeah i work with jed lynch jed uh, did a spell with goldfrapp Right. So uh, you're, you're just kind of... They're, they're, everybody's melding into one super group, aren't they? It's How just, bizarre, yeah. But yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it's great. He's a, he's a smashing chap and brilliant guitarist. And he plays lead guitar on one of my all-time favourite songs, so I was really blown away by that. And that's uh, Talk Talk, um, Life's What You Make It. Excellent. Yeah, so that was... Uh, glad to hear it. Mm. Well, Gaz, that sounds like exciting times ahead. I'm glad you came in. Uh, Gaz has also brought in something for us to look at, but more on that later. Uh, and but actually, I should... Actually, before I get going even further, is apologise, A, for last week not doing the isotope competition <laughs> after I teased it, and then I didn't. Um, but that's okay, because we'll have one this week. And B, um, there was something else which I've forgotten I should probably apologise for, but I'll just apologise anyway, because I can't remember what it was, so there must have been something. But now... I'm going to go to my uh, remote guests. So over here we have Mr. Dave Spears uh, in his live in his studio once again. How are you doing, Dave? All right, it's hot in there. Yeah, it is, isn't it? That's a tweet song, I think, um, with that line in it. In case you were wondering, that's too modern for me. I think. I think the next line of the lyric goes, "I'm going to take off all my clothes." Okay. Well. No, no, it's all right. <laughs> I, I wasn't suggesting that, but I just thought, uh, anyhow. Let's do the show naked. <laughs> yeah, maybe one day that will happen. Uh, just for, no, I'm not even going to put that out there because that would be uh, no wrong. So, Dave, anyway, glad to have you aboard. Uh, and how's the bandwidth holding up? I don't know. Uh... You're, you're a bit pixely, but you're all right. You're, you're kind of hanging in there. Yeah, I'm not sure. I've got an Ethernet plugged in and I'm on the wireless, so I'm trying to hog as much as I can. And I've told everybody, don't go near the broadband for Get the next off. hour. Yes. Brilliant. Get off my broadband. Get off my broadband. Anyway, Dave, nice to have you aboard. And uh, I, I'm not sure I heard a little bit of keyboard before you uh, started off there. Is that another tease with whatever it is that you can't tell us about? Yeah, I'm not telling anyone about it. No, I'm making sounds for something. Oh, excellent. That sounds marvellous. Anyway, Dave, uh, g4software.com. So if you visit there every day, ten times a day, then the chances are at some point you'll see what it is that Dave is uh, doing that's new. And you'll get the hits up. See see what I did there? (laughs) I'm a genius in marketing, clearly. Uh, And Mark Tinley's over there in um, uh, Oxfordshire, Bedfordshire. I got it right, nearly. I am in Bedfordshire. I'm going to be moving to Somerset soon, though, because we've sold our house. Oh, congratulations. Or we've had an offer on it, which which means it's got a sold sign outside, but uh, 
apparently there's lots of paperwork or something. I don't know much about this. I'm I've never sold a house before. I bought one, no. but I've never sold one. I don't know what it's like. There are people that deal with that sort of thing, right, Mark? There are, yeah. Excellent. So does that mean you're going to be looking down well, our neck of the woods? Uh, my partner is dealing with it. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> That's the best kind of other yeah, people. The theory do. is that we're moving to Glastonbury. That's the theory. So we'll be in summer set. You know what? That is just such a fantastic link there, Mark, because you know what? Our first topic is about Glastonbury and festivals oh. in general. I can't believe that you did that. That was just so <laughs> so generous of you there, Mark. Thank you very much. Of course, uh, you must know that it's actually Glastonbury weekend. Uh, Glastonbury weekend, of course, um, being, uh, I mean, I don't know about anybody else. I mean, I've been, I used to work there for 10 years. I've, my, I've, I was reminiscing because uh, um, I went out to a party on Friday night and there were lots of people talking about going to Glastonbury and when, how, when was their first time. I think mine was first time was 1981. And I remember approaching the site with, um, in the, with my friend's dad's car and hearing this really loud music. It was Black Uhuru, big dub reggae act, when they used to have like a 50,000 watt PA system that just used to fire off in all directions. The good old days, I like to call them. <laughs> and uh, and um, yes, and I thought I was really close, but I was actually still about five miles away. <laughs> it was just so loud. So yes, um, Glastonbury mm. is this weekend. In fact, uh, if I show you here, this is the lineup. We've got the, the, there are so many stages now, it sort of gets a bit confusing. So, uh, but I would like to say we've got Chic. Featuring Nile Rogers on the West Holt stage. West um, Holt stage. I'm not, I don't know what that is. Jazz World stage. That got a bit the... snobby about using the word Jazz World. I think it's all a little bit Jazz World. So yeah. I called it West Holt stage. I tried to form a campaign to get it called the Jazz Back to Jazz World stage because Jazz World stage has been there for years and years and years. And then they changed it recently. Emily Evis, she's so indie. And indie, you <laughs> kind of really sort of like, jazz world. Ugh. So they changed it to West Holtz, which is the name of the field in, as, in the farm. And I think it just says nothing. You know, it just says more about indie kind of... You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of a kind of automotive parts distribution Yeah, network. it's rubbish. Change it back to jazz world stage. Stop being so kind of... I don't know. Don't fiddle with something. If you're yeah, stupid. I hate all that indie kind of nonsense. <laughs> well, that's funny because I've actually done uh, I've done the sound on the jazz what the jazz world stage a few times. Mm. I'd love to go down and see Chic. I think mm. that is going to be possibly what the gig of the festival. Uh, I've no idea. This is just a sort of you know poster that says who's mm. on. Uh, Tom Tom Club. Ooh, C Six Steve as well. I saw some of it. C Six Steve. Awesome. He's a sham, though, isn't he? <laughs> oh. I like him, but he's not. He, his backstory, he's like, you know, he's like this hobo, and he's like talking, and he's meant to be like nearly 70 years old and all this. He does look 70. It's all, it's all a load of rubbish. He was a music producer. He's just sort of created a sort of a, a pretend backstory. He's still really good and entertaining, but it's not true. He's, uh, he's I'd, like just a, like to, I'd just like to f- find out where those hostilities go. What's wrong with creating a per, uh, uh, your, uh, yourself a performing persona again? It's fine, it's fine. It's just, uh, you know, it's just if, if people think he's the real deal, he's not. He's a, he's a, yeah. Right. I'm glad we're getting this cleared up. It's like Tom Waits. Have you heard Tom Waits talk? He's got a really soft, gentle voice like that, you know. Really? That's his normal voice. Oh, well, when he's on, he's kind of, um, yeah. sounds like he's vomiting. I did just make that bit up. Oh, <laughs> Marilyn Manson, he was a music journalist, wasn't he? Oh, is that right? And he kept saying to everyone, oh, your act's rubbish, that heavy metal band, they're rubbish. And in the end, someone turned around to him and said, well, if you're so smart, you do it. So he went, all right, then. Uh, (laughs) And he sort of did. 
and uh, it kind of did, yeah. Yeah, massively. Successfully, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I know, that's brilliant. I did a Marilyn Manson remix once. Did you? Yeah, I can't remember what it was now, but it was, I remember doing something. I think I played, I, put, I played a Lieutenant Pigeon style snare pattern on it. <laughs> <laughs> something like that, anyway. So, um, yeah, you're talking about volume of glastonbury yeah yeah it's so quiet nowadays well you know what i've got a theory about this sorry someone else will get a look in a minute i've got a theory about this <laughs> and that is that when they went from one big festival yeah. with a big pa that just pointed in one direction so you yeah. could listen to the band from the market or wherever you were yeah. it was great and it had a vibe but then they changed it to all these little separate arenas mm. where the sound had to be focused in a yeah. different it actually ruined the idea of the festival for me because it meant that the only way you could hear that stuff is by going down these tiny little kind of funnels yeah. into the arenas which means repeatedly i've been since it became an arena and thought i'll go and see them started and then just thought Uh, i can't be bothered i'm never going to get there i think i know what happened actually do you uh, my brother adam adamski played played glastonbury in 1990 and i did the front of house sound and somebody stood next to me and they had one of those what are those white what are those white things called with the red lights that go up and down, like Callian Kruger or Gallian Kruger, something or another? Gallian Kruger. No, it's mm. the, the the sound. Oh, is know, it a traffic spectrum, light system? Spectrum analyzer thing. Oh god, it's white really? and it's a spectrum analyzer. It's all your fault, is it? Because you turned it up too loud. <laughs> no, 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 not that I turned it up too loud. They basically said to me, that thing is measuring how much output you're putting off this system. If you go over ninety dB, there's a uh, there's a policeman up on top of the hill with a you know, a dB meter, and if you go over, we're going to cut the PA off. So I basically sat it on exactly 90 dB at whatever the distance was for the whole show and kind of managed to compress everything and keep it within that kind of thing and make it loud enough. But basically, they sound policed the whole thing and, and shut down PAs that went over. So that was what happened. I blame I blame the raves the rave scene because it never used to be like that. It used to be yeah. That's a good point. But I mean, like at Glastonbury now, you go and watch like the main stage, the pyramid stage, as it's called. And uh, if there's a wind, forget about it. I mean, you just hear this kind of phasey, weak, awful sound. And even down the front, I went down the front. I was really close to the front in like the kind of maybe one of the best places you could be for the sound. And I whispered to my friend, "You shouldn't be able to hear me." And he whispered back, "I know." And, and it was like... That's really, really <laughs> bad, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, man. Dave, you've been to Glastonbury? Yeah, not for years. I was put on the guest list. Uh, we've been on the guest list a couple of years, but I couldn't go. I didn't go. I won't be going this year. I'm going to the uh, Citroen DS rally. Ooh! <laughs> 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 I chose that instead. I can't say I blame you. I've... Um, That's, uh, yeah. No, go on, sorry. I know I was trying to get in on because uh, Rich Hilton's playing there on Saturday, as I said. Well, I think it's Saturday, and uh, I was trying to get a guest list, but there were no guest lists for the band, unfortunately. So, boom. Yeah, apparently, uh, friends playing. Well, he's doing. He's working with a rather large band who's playing at Glastonbury, and they didn't get any guest list. <sighs> So it's kind of, they've really cut it back. Well, I think, I, I mean, I can understand why, you know, somehow that might happen to it. Because, I mean, the logistics, because now they've got like two, and they're expecting nearly 200,000 people this year. When I used to work there, it was around about the 60,000 mark. That was the official tickets, though, wasn't it? I mean, you know, a lot. Well, well no, have you seen the stage? Have you seen the, have you seen the there was a brilliant um, documentary recently, um, and it was uh, all kind of, 
the evolution of the fence and now it's basically like the Berlin Wall with oh, that kind of bit in the middle they send galloping horses between to stop people climbing over you know, I used to climb over the fence all the time to get into that festival back in the 90s you know it was a really mad festival back in those days because like what happened in Britain especially in the early 90s when the rave scene had really kind of kicked off big time uh, rave had really reached out into the provinces and it was really you know all people started getting into rave all the kind of you know little builders and you know real working class kind of types who would never in a million years go to a festival they were all going to glastonbury and everyone was going to glastonbury and like hardly anyone was paying to go to glastonbury and used to sort of be able to jump over the fence i remember so you know you're trying to find a spot to get over the fence and you're having a little patrol around trying to work out what the what the situation is allegedly well (laughs) allegedly (laughs) and find a little bit okay let's do it let's do it and some like and typically scousers young scousers would be walking around going all right there whack do you want to you know uh, 10 quid for a go of our ladder like you know 10 quid go over our ladder (laughs) and you go like um uh no sorry we'll just we sat get over and we like bunking everyone up over the you know chuck all the bags over a couple of us sat on the on the on the top of the fence reaching down trying to lift the last person up and we're really struggling and this scouser walks past and goes, oh mate just give us a bunk up because five quid for a bunk up mate five Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, it's a cottage industry isn't it <laughs> yeah there's a there's a lot i mean there's lots of brilliant um um Glastonbury stories. I mean, I I did have some video to play, but I suspect if I play it, it will get... There's a really good documentary uh, uh, I watched on BBC, and it was just really long, and it was about the evolution of the whole thing from the beginning with uh, Michael Levis just talking about how they're going through the sort of phase when the travellers were allowed on site, which Mm. was around the time that I was going there, and then how they changed that, and then they had to bring the fence in, and and all these kind of concessions to this larger, you know, as it becomes bigger and bigger Mm. and bigger, and he just said, you know, it's it's interesting. When he he seems like such a lovely bloke actually mm. so uh yeah but um festivals marvelous i i, I was going to actually sort of try and ca- canvas a few festival tales but we seem to have got them there so that's actually pretty we're pretty sorted so i i did want to go i'd love to go for the day mm. I, I the idea of taking a nine-year-old daughter to a place where there are two hundred thousand really out of it people no i not- tell you what it nowadays glastonbury is like it's safe as it's safe as you like. It's like you a know. giant adventure playground. Yeah, I mean, back in the nineties, like when I was talking about it, it was just like sheer anarchy, and it was murders and yeah, robberies, oh, and, and the, the crime rate was ridiculous. My friend, for instance, he was sleeping in his tent, and he had his boots stolen off his feet when he slept. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just insanity back in the day. You know. <laughs> oh, that's pretty. Did you well, see that? Did you see that Daily Mash thing recently where it's? Uh, Kids think that music gets in the uh, gets in the way of corporate sponsorship at festivals. They'd far rather be in a field with a load of branding. <laughs> Music's just kind of in the way. That made me laugh. Uh, yeah, there were some funny shots in this uh, documentary where they're kind of you know there's this sort of Nat West cash point and sort of mm. this stuff, and it's just getting kind of crazy. But the whole glamping thing, you know, that's a little bit suspect, isn't it? You know, you can go to Glastonbury and you can go to these big festivals and you can pay to go glamping which is glamorous camping i think that'd be great i'd do it i want to do that you want to do that but it's just like it's like about 750 quid yeah it's a lot of money and then you get did it last year and she went and stayed in a yurt village and it was she said it was really gorgeous she just kind of arrived and they helped her take her stuff that sounds good it just it just kind of it's the class divide though isn't it in festivals you know it's like the haves and the have-nots you know like the people in their nice little private little kind of like yurty camping bed and they got their own toilets where would you rather be if you were staying at glastonbury in a field or in the backstage area with secure camping and a nice toilet um 
Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you. I, I rest my so. case. Like, if you've got kids, I think it's kind of, you know, it's worth doing it with kids because it's quieter and, you yeah. know, you don't have to. Uh, putting up a tent when you've got two young children hanging off you going, Dad, I want this, Dad, I want that, Dad, I want that. It's just impossible. I mean, yeah. trust me, it takes hours. Yeah, no, it's, I've done that before. I went last, well, last time I saw, I saw Rich play and uh, at Sheik played at WOMAD and I was, I was late because I'd spent probably f- an hour and three quarters carrying the myriad of, uh, sort of kitchen sink type kind of accessories across from the field and I finally got there and I did my back in but that was it but yeah I was going to say when I was going to Glastonbury you know children of the age of my daughter were selling drugs you know I mean mm. they would be all over the place and that yeah. was pretty that was pretty grim yeah. actually yeah, I mean, it was crazy, wasn't it? People used to stand on uh, on 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 like a kind of bucket with a with a with a loud hailer and so get your drugs here and yeah, um, yeah, it, yeah. It's it not was, like that now. It no, isn't like that now. It's certain. It certainly isn't like that now. But yes, if you're going, good on you. And if you're working there, good on you too. And I hope you have a good time and uh, do everything you want to do. It is a great place to work. There is that, you know, because it's, you know, especially, well, hopefully if it's not going to be muddy, but if it is muddy, it's sort of, you get the real sort of, uh, uh, it's, it's almost like a wartime spirit, you know. Mm. It's uh, and it's quite, uh, but it's just exhausting. But uh, you know, like Glastonbury in the past, there used to be all these rumours in Glastonbury because you would really be cut off from civilization as we knew it when when you'd be there. But of course, now with mobile phones, you're very kind of connected. And when you go there now, everyone's on their phones and they're tweeting and their Facebook updates, or you know, every few minutes it seems. And like in the past, there used to be these great rumours that used to go around, and people would go, "Have you heard the news?" Blah 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 blah, or whatever. And it'd be the most ridiculous kind of um i remember like they were saying saddam hussein's been arrested he that was one of the stories when i was there uh, he's been arrested sort of uh, filthy beast style around a, a pool in marbella in uh, southern spain and that's what everybody was believing and you know this is back in the 90s and you couldn't um you couldn't disprove it but then uh, i remember back in 2009 at glastonbury when michael jackson died i was it, he died during glastonbury festival i think it was on the thursday night just when the festival began and people i was in a bar and some guy said have you heard the news michael jackson's like no like really uh no thinking it was a glastonbury lie but of course everybody's there sort of showing your mobile phones going look 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 online yeah and then about five minutes later i saw someone wearing a t-shirt i was at glastonbury where michael jackson died oh jesus (laughs) wow that's enterprising isn't it (laughs) yeah was he a scouser I think actually that was a terrible thing to say, but it just followed. It was just just, uh, following on from the joke. I'm going to have to do something about this. Your camera looks way better than mine. I'm sort of all blurry and wobbly. No, really. That's how you look in real life, Nick. (laughs) Oh, is it? (laughs) Excellent. Now I know. Uh, Well, I should probably do the ad now because, of course, this sponsor, this podcast is actually sponsored by somebody. Uh, It's Isotope, and uh, they've got a message that they would like to introduce you, and that is the fact. uh, that Trash 2 is in the house. Of course, uh, Trash 2, dual stage, multiband distortion, versatile distortion capabilities, subtle, warm and extreme. Uh, but it's beyond distortion as well. You've got uh, new sonic dimensions with screaming, valve, formant, capable dual filters, delay, dynamic modules, convolution engine. Let your sound inha- inhabit any space or object. I think that's something that's lesser known about it. Uh, load impulses and morph your audio with Trash 2's convolution engine. Download a free demo from 
isotope.com forward slash trash and that's 10 day free demo at last you know works perfectly well there's also two new expansion packs all new classic textures and a more extreme expansion pack and as far as I recall there was also the ability to kind of tone it down and have some more subtle effects that kind of get more sort of warm mastering type effects and that's also well worth exploring uh, Trash 2 is on sale for 149 quid uh, sorry 149 dollars register price 249 through June the 26th so that's today isn't it so if you're quick you might get it uh, Trash customers could log in and get their account special upgrade pricing so once again thank you very much oops no that's that one <laughs> to uh, Isotope for their uh, sponsorship of the show isotope.com forward splash uh, trash and uh, I'm, as I didn't last week I'm going to try and run the competition this week so leave in the comments your favourite thing and way of distorting electronic type sounds so either pianos keyboards that kind of thing or synthesizers what is it and we'll pick uh, one and uh, they will be bestowed with an isotope trash two fully working free copy courtesy of isotope so once again we thank them very much for their show sponsorship right um that was festivals then um this was interesting this is depeche on the road i know not everybody's a big fan of depeche mode but i've got this this access uh, posted this video which was them uh, doing um showing what they were using live uh, which was of course Hi, uh, a load of access equipment he sort of glosses over everything spends a keyboard tech delta machine tour this is in Hamburg. I'll take you to the stage and I'll show you uh, the keyboard. There's a, it looks like an indigo in the background there. So it's a big stadium in, I think it was in Hamburg so in the uh, last the couple, of, about a couple uh, of weeks. Andrew Fletcher's position. He has two controller keyboards that are linked to my racks there. Which we won't mention Most what they are. <laughs> As you can see here, we have the uh, virus indigo, the smaller version. Anyway, I wasn't really... But the, the point of this ad... Re, sorry, I, I said ad. That was a bit of a Freudian slip, because it was a bit... The point of the video, for me, was... Because we've seen all these rehearsal things where they're just playing all these beautiful old synthesizers and t and kind of making these great sounds. And, you know, there, there was a couple of... Uh, I don't know where they were rehearsing, but it had a massive panorama picture window. It's like the top of a skyscraper. It just looked amazing. And it was a really, actually, pretty good performance. And they were doing the whole thing live, and they were playing sort of Monopoly, MS-20, all of those things. And I wondered, you know, because we, uh, we must have all been through this scenario where we've, but we've created music on these beautiful old synthesizers and then had to take it to a live scenario. What is that decision process? Because... You know, you have to kind of make a choice. I'm not going to take this or I am going to take it. And if I'm not going to take it, what is it that I can use instead of that? And I'm going to go to you first, Dave, because I'm sure you must have done this for people. Uh, and, and you can't just plug your own products. Uh, <laughs> yes, I have. And I can't think of anybody else. Oh, Omnisphere, actually. Used Omnisphere. I uh, did some stuff on that uh, War of the Worlds um, theatrical production thing, you know, the big touring thing with the hologram of Richard Burton and all that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. uh, but that was actually, weirdly enough, mostly old string machines, Arp Odyssey, uh, there was a CS80 in it, and uh, yeah, all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, no, that's kind of my bag, really. People, people call me and go, how do I get this old sound on this kind of new piece of software? And I go, leave it with me, I can do that. Ultravox is another one, I help them quite a lot. Uh, 
Um, so, but, yeah. but what it, I mean, there is a, you know, I wonder what the cutoff point is. You know, when do you think, no, I'm not taking that, or I am, you know, I ha- that sound is so important, I have to put it to tape, or I've got to take it with me, or I've got, you know, that's the, 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 there's, there must be this point. Because you look at guitarists, and they take their vintage stuff on the road all the time, and, you know, because they look pretty cool with it, they're, you know, they're doing their posturing. How come it's not the same for a synthesizer? Is it just because they're just so much more um, rare or fragile, I suppose? Yeah, I normally advise people. It, it, the cutoff point is how much you want to keep that gear alive <laughs> forever. Uh, Gaz can probably tell you a good vocoder story because Underworld take their VP330 on the road, uh, and we've tried mm-hmm. the Roland is it XT synth rack thing. I tried getting that with the extra card for Rick, and that was a kind of close contender for a while. Yeah. And then. Uh, this, you know, Rick's very kind of particular. For him, it was only the, you know, only the real thing would, would really do. Right. So that's kind of flight case, stood slightly off stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carl then triggers the guitar via a MIDI input, uh, triggers the vocoder via a MIDI input, and obviously that then affects they, his vocals. They do take a second spare as a spare as well. Yeah, and that was interesting that you said, obviously, it changed on this tour to a different vocoder, because in a way, when Carl was calling, kind of going, is this a good idea? I was kind of, yes, yes, it's a good idea. Use something more modern and robust. Ah. Uh, <laughs> famous last words. Yeah, we, we had no end of vocoder issues on the tour um, for a whole multitude of reasons, really. Um, whereas, like, those old Rolands, you know, they've actually been incredibly reliable i think well i say they've been reliable they've they have had problems with them but um different kind of problems we had all sorts of strange things happening there was definitely it became like a running joke about the vocoder issues you know every sound check you know we'd sort of sound check the band in 10 minutes and then spend the next two hours getting the vocoder working (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah that sounds like a bit of a nightmare mark i'm guessing you must have had to go through this as well to a degree i mean certain amounts of technology you can take and certain you don't but there's that whole decision process that goes through kind of what i mean obviously with depeche mode they probably could afford to take all of that stuff but i mean clearly for them the virus stuff works or they've got an excellent programmer that can just kind of get them where they need to go with it it's um it's an invention process and there's also a lot of psychology involved in it i think so in terms of like getting backing tracks together i was very much in charge of that with the duran thing to make sure that i basically got those sounds happening in the backing tracks but as far as sense is concerned uh nick rhodes absolutely refused to have anything out there apart from his jupiter eight and and i tried loads and loads and loads of different ways to get him to to use something different he just wouldn't and the funny thing about that video we just watched is i know ben adams because one of the times when i threw a bit of a tizzy and left that duran gig ben took over from me and i have to say that ben looks a hell of a lot less stressed out doing that gig than he did doing duran well no no jupiter eights i guess <laughs> they've just gone for the right. route one they use the imp. They use the imp. Yeah, God. In fact, it's weird because John John was having a bit of a to do with some bloke on a forum. God, it's his own fault for going to forums. But um, I said, right, I'm going to dig this out. So I've got an old kind of brochure thing, and it's like the old boys there using, and it's got yeah, imposter and blah blah blah. Which is funny because when I watched that thing, I was like, 
It's just like an advert for bloody access. Was I suppose it was done by them? Well, it was. Yeah, it was Tom Rent, who's a great guy. But it guy. didn't tell you anything. It didn't kind of. No, tell it, you it was a little bit uh, brand protected. It's much better just to have everything out there and then just go. Oh yeah, and we use these. They're great. Mm. You know, you don't. Do you want to hear the coolest bit of trivia about Depeche Mode? Yes, please. Okay, seventies sci-fi Jerry Anderson TV program UFO. Yeah, Ace Team. Do you remember the captain of the submarine, Captain Carlin? Um, no. Okay, but well, then the sort of string vest type thing. Anyway, that is their keyboard player, Peter Gordino's dad, and his name was also Peter Gordino. There you go. Well, now, that know. is cooler than that video. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastically trivial and uh, excellent. But th- their tour is bonkers. I, I've got some the, the dates here. Um, let's have a look. They're just, I mean, you've, have you, you've been on tours with the, of this sort of magnitude. That they've got a day off tonight, but tomorrow they're in uh, Borlage uh, at a festival in Sweden. And they're in Sweden, uh, Stockholm on the 27th. Oh, they've got two gigs in Sweden. So they're playing the Sweden Festival, one festival, a festival gig in the afternoon, perhaps. And then I think that could be right. And then Kiev, Ukraine, uh, Germany, Germany, Belgium, Switzerland, Spain, France, Italy, Czech Republic. God, we're still, we're still only in July. And then, uh, oh, then they go to America in August. So that, thro- that throws something up for a start then, because... There's no way you can do shows like that back to back without having duplicate rigs because you wouldn't get the rigs there in time. Not to get they're doing a piggyback. through customs and through hmm. shipping and all that kind of. You know, you get the band on a plane and you can get the band on a plane to all sorts of different places fairly quick. But in terms of the turnaround on putting stuff on planes and getting stuff from place to place, there's going to be there's going to be times there where they're going to need duplicate rigs, definitely. So if you're taking old gear on the road, how do you duplicate it and have two lots of it? Yeah, that's a bit... When you need two lots because um, you need a spare rather than a duplicate, as it were. So then you need four. (laughs) Yeah, you do need four. You do need four. And then shipping becomes an issue. You have your A setup, which is the main one that goes around with you, which does have duplicates in it, and then you have your B setup. Nick's got like three or four Jupiter A's. And the problem with that is that when... Yeah, they all sound different as well, I suppose. I used to take sounds from one and put them in the other one. He'd go, what have you done to it? And I'd be like, I I just did a tape transfer from this one to that one. And he was like, well, did you change any of the sounds? I'm like, no. And it's just the machine sounds totally different. Mm. His original one seems to sound different to any of the replacement ones. It's interesting. I mean, uh, people in the chat room obviously saying that, you know, Jar takes the whole lot on the road. But, I mean, can you imagine being Jar's tech... I mean, that would be, that would be a stressful job. Ah, I know him. Oh, he, he was uh, he helped us on uh, Popeye on the opera last year. Uh, a lot, bit of yeah. light relief. Jean Chevink, <laughs> his name is. Uh, yeah, nice guy. But um, did you talk to him about his um, jar works, or was it? Uh, yeah, a, a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, he was quite guarded. He, he wasn't actually. He didn't actually. I think my Jean-Michel Jarre yeah, should do a, a, a reggae covers band, and he can do Jar I and I and all things like that, couldn't he? <laughs> oh, brilliant! Uh, sorry about that. I just 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 came to me suddenly. Oh. I probably should have kept it in rather than just blurted it. Maybe out. He hasn't done it because he hasn't got a space hacker. That's like the only thing he hasn't got. <laughs> <laughs> he can't get that hi hat sound. Yeah, he's just just missing the Great British Spring <laughs> for the uh, yeah. The rim shot. Uh, well, anyway, that was for Depeche on the mode. You, on the road, you can go and see them. I'm sure uh, wherever you like, uh, because they're everywhere for like the next 
five years or so. They just seem to be touring incessantly. Uh, and this is, but this does link into another video. And this again is a bit salesy, but you'll you'll kind of get my thread in a sec. So, Dave, tell us about yourself. Tell us about the band. Uh, we're Oasis UK. Uh, we're an Oasis tribute band touring England. Um, we play two or three times a week in venues from 50 capacity to 500. We're, we're serious about it. We all love Oasis, mm. and we. We, we take pride in the sound. We use the same amps, same guitars. We decorate the stage. We have a lot of projectors, video footage going during the show. So, so I'll, I'll forward it a bit. Um, basically, what transpires is they use uh, Personas, uh, there we go, uh, backstage, and they just have it at the side of the stage, we were going out and that guy basically just uh, just tweaks the mix and all the monitors from his iPad, and we had an e- which e- seems e- like e- a e- fabulous, e- you know, I mean, you know, we know that this is possible and it's all been done, but it just got me thinking, with the kind of thought about where things are going in terms of touring cost and, you know, footprint of the gear and all that kind of thing, our sat front of house sound is surely going to be obsolete pretty soon. You get the keyboard tech will run it. <coughs> or somebody, you know, who's a keyboard tech and can do front out, or the monitor guy, you know, or whatever. So that, because I mean, that's going to save you a fortune on the length of a tour, wouldn't you say? I don't know. Got any thoughts on that, Mark? I you picked the phone up there. Jobs. <laughs> you could I do could both do, those jobs. Yeah, I'm a good key tech and I'm a good front of house sound man. So I could definitely cover both. In fact, you kind of spun it back into Glastonbury because when Adam did Glastonbury, I was his key tech and his front of house sound man and I was out the front of house doing front of house sound and something went wrong and I had to run through the crowd. <laughs> That's where it falls down stage, a bit. Fix this keyboard <laughs> issue and then go back out to front of house and it was a long, long way. <laughs> like That's... a couple of songs till I got there and back. <laughs> That's where that kind of falls down a little bit, I suppose. That's the problem. Um, but I mean, really, there's no reason. I mean, I, this, I'm playing devil's advocate. Why, why do you need a front of house person if you can automate all of this stuff and trigger it off? Dave. I've got a really good story. I was at a party at the week. Jem, Jem Godfrey came here on Saturday and recorded, and then we went off to a party, which was hilarious in itself, because that was kind of full of music industry types, Jeff Downs and all those people. Anyway, so I'm there with Andy Shillito, who obviously has been on the show a few times, and he tells me a story. And he says that he got helped to... Um, he got asked to help out an unsigned band by their manager at their showcase gig to do Front of House. So he goes and he sets up and he said it was a really horrible venue and uh, you, have to, you have to kind of wrestle with it during sound check and then when it started to fill up, you know, he's kind of readjusting. So the band kick off and he's wrestling with it for the first couple of numbers and he gets it, he kind of gets it banged into shape and then he goes over to the manager and he says, are you happy? And the manager says, yep, it sounds great. And then Andy says to him, and this is the difference, this is why we need smart-ass front-of-house people. He says... Who are the most important people in this room? And the guy points to a load of grey-haired people with glasses over in the corner. So Andy walks over behind them and he stands behind and there's a pillar behind them. So he's getting a lot of reflections and stuff off of them. So he goes back to the desk and he tweaks it accordingly so that it sounds great in their space. (laughs) Three days later, he gets a call. The band have been signed thanks to that gig. Thank you very much. Yay! That's that's a really... Brilliant reason. That's that's yeah. That's that is a really brilliant reason, and you know that one. What those gigs are kind of uh, few and far between. But that that's okay. I'll I'll take that as a positive. Then Mark, you seem ready to. So what would make that really cool? is instead of having to go back to the desk, he could have stood behind them with his iPad and tweaked it <laughs> Ooh, yeah. so that he got the, the sound absolutely spot on for them and then, you know, he wouldn't have had to have gone back, would he? 
Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, well, there's that. That that's good. Touche. Very good. Well, I, I mean, on the tour I've been doing with Carl, um, we've been fortunate to have John Newsham doing our front of house, and John is, he's a fantastic. He's got an amazing CV. He started off with Steve Hillage and in the seventies, and then went on to work with Pink Floyd and Iron Maiden in the eighties doing front of house. So he's worked really, really so much stuff he's been with underworld for a long time only dave i think john's been since the very early days yeah. since the early days um and his ex- expertise and experience has just been absolutely phenomenal really to be honest and we've been playing in all sorts of odd places on this tour you know churches and uh you know large area you know big all sorts of different sizes shapes and sizes and i don't know how you could automate that process i mean you know uh, well you could i mean you could by by using just just pulse it the room pulse. have decent mics you know do do a mm. kind of pink noise generation i mean that will get you some way towards it not everywhere no admittedly. it's true but i mean then when we're having all sorts of technical issues or all sorts of things you know john would just be there and his expertise would come in useful time and time again and you know he it'd be you know unthinkable not to have him on that tour you know just uh just having to rely on the technology working um mm. uh, i suppose the thing i'm thinking also is the the fact that you know it's the footprint in front of house because we went to see mm-hmm. goldfrapp at the weekend they played yeah. on sunday night in bristol uh, it's great gig really enjoyed it bumped into daniel miller there uh, from mute and he said I'm still listening to the podcast, so <laughs> that's good news. one confirmed listener for sure. Um, but, uh, and, you know, they had a little uh, enclosure with a avid live venue or whatever it was, you know, one of those. But it seemed to me, you know, there was a lot of tweaking, but a lot of that stuff can now be done in pre-production. Hmm. So in, in some ways, you uh, yeah. know, you, you, do you need to have a dedicated person, you know, because of the savings that you make by not having that enclosure? Well, as I say, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, the thought of it, it would be quite frightening, I think. Also, engineers know those rooms, don't they? They get to know those rooms over the years. So it's pretty rare that an experienced engineer will have to walk into a room and go, oh, you know, I've really got to fight with this. They'll generally know exactly what they're dealing with. And from a band's perspective, that's kind of absolutely vital that you can kind of hand over the trust to somebody mm. else, knowing full well that they're going to do but it. But then again, I mean, okay, I, I am still playing devil's average. So you've still got two. So you've got your monitor engineer and a front of house engineer. You know, there's going to come a point where, you know, some, the, the, the costs will be cut, I'm sure. You know, I mean, it's yeah, the just, monitor guy's got to go. You think? I, yeah, I they're generally you, irritating. I don't think you can get rid of the monitor. <laughs> they are irritating, but you can't get rid of the monitor guy. I mean, they're, because they, they're dealing on an individual basis yeah. with each member of the band. And that person has to meet as many. If there's nine people in the band, they have to meet nine people's needs and get it. They're doing nine mixes, aren't they, or five? At mixes, least, yeah. How many people are in the band? You can, I think they're more important than the front of house sound guy. I personally, I mean, the front of house sound can go wrong, but if the monitor mix goes wrong, then the band falls apart, and it's going to sound shit perform. anyway, isn't it? I should delegate that to the tech. <laughs> well, the front of house should go to the tech, or the no, monitor. No, no, monitor should go to the tech. Well, I, I suppose that's a point because if you think if yeah. you think about it, yeah. when there's no playing in between songs, when yeah. you need to change the guitar, yeah. you're not having to do any mixing, are you? That's so what you we've just... been doing on this tour. <laughs> we've been, it... yeah, our tech's been doing our monitors, and it's been yeah, he's he's been great. So it's um, he's been able, mind you, he can uber multitask though. So he's you know, I think you need a particular. I think you. So you're do... saying each of your individual techs 
does your mix? No, the one one monitor guy, that the one of the techs does the monitors as well. Yeah, at the all all of the monitors at the same time. Yeah, while building well, states. I thought you, meant, well, I thought yeah. you were saying like you know your drum tech does the drum monitors, the keyboard tech does the keyboard monitors, the guitar. Oh, there's a thought. You can have an iPad each, couldn't monitors. they? Yeah, yeah, but that could get. Well, I don't know. That might work, I suppose. But we did. Um, we did in the initial rehearsal stages for the Carl Hyde thing. We had this big Roland system arrive uh, in the rehearsals for us to try out, which was. Um, Oh, the Ethernet thing, yes. The Ethernet thing, and it's quite complex, and you can do um, a 16-channel mix yourself, and you can EQ each of the feeds independently. It's got, like, microphones built in, so you can feed in some ambience into your headphones, and it was quite... And I was really kind of thinking, ooh, brilliant, you know, because it was appealing to me, because I like my techie stuff, and just being able to dial in my mix and having all that control. But the others in the band were really, you know, they were really against it. They didn't like it. And, in fact, Carl... He didn't. Yeah, he, he could get. He was detecting like a tiny degree of latency because it was a digital system, and he just felt that little bit of removal from right. Well, that's from understandable. His voice and his monitoring. And Behringer do a similar thing for the X thirty two system, and mm. uh, and you can. It's got a little ambient mic you can mix in, yeah. and you can re- you can compress the whole thing and mm. limit. And it, it's great fun. Yeah, but I mean, but though that's the thing I'm saying, Nick. For 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 me brilliant because i've got an interest in that area but other musicians for instance angie pollock playing keys she really doesn't like any kind of tech side of things at all she needs to really concentrate on the playing she's got enough on her plate so anything like that is like oh no no not not interested because you know it's going to distract her from her playing Mm, you know yeah Yeah. maybe so and Uh, i think you'll find that is quite common with lots of musicians well i have found that anyway sort of um Right. Well, there we go. I just, I just thought it was an interesting kind of observation. But if you're interested, and uh, that was uh, Rodney Orpheus from uh, Personas, who was doing the uh, the interview. Uh, Persona Studio Live 1642, they do a 24 as well. The 16 is actually only about 1,500 quid now. So if you, that and a few iPads and your know, wedges. I mean, the other thing that they were saying is, you know, not just the Personas, but all of these new things. It basically, you're reducing your racks. You don't need a rack of compressors and gates and stuff because it's all in there. So the inevitable, I was just thinking the inevitable march to kind of, you know, basically mixing the gig on your phone, you know, without a front house engineer. Yeah. Certainly for those kind of bands where, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a jobbing thing rather than a, a joy. You know, that extra body you've got to take along. You know, eats into the, the, the amount of money that you can make, I That's suppose. Um, creative limitations, uh, web-controlled analog. Uh, oh no, I think we'll do. Uh, what's the time? Uh, let's do. Let's do this boom bottle because uh, that's something that uh, Gaz has got something to contribute to as well. So I'm going to press a button, and then there will be a video. Probably, <laughs> <laughs> or not. Let's see if there is. Oh, there it is. This is the they always seem to come out in the in the summer. This is the the latest lifestyle ad for your uh, your your latest Bluetooth or wireless speaker. I haven't seen one yet, but there's lots of uh, pretty young things doing things I'd rather be doing. Oh, like that. So if I buy that, my life will end up like this. That's what I'm really... I, I might have to buy it just to see if that happens. Just like an Apple advert. It is, isn't it? Music control. So this is a Bluetooth. It's supposed to be quite loud and pretty cool and all of those things. Anyway, yeah, that, what's that called? That, that's the boom bottle, something for the summer, fit in your um, bike 
thing and uh, will make you attractive to the opposite sex by the looks of things as well. Hmm. Um, which... I was going to tell you one story, but that's just made me think of something completely different. Because when I was about eight or nine years old, I used to cycle down to the electronics shop and they had this Sony advert for a Sony cassette recorder and there was this blonde running down the beach hand in hand with the guy with the brown jacket with the pointy collar and the big beige corduroy flares. And I was like, I want to be that guy. Mm. I want to be running down the, the beach with that girl. And I, was, that's, I think that's fundamentally why I became a sound engineer. That, you can trace it back to that. Yeah. That's amazing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, that, that one picture, that Sony advertisement for that cassette recorder with the little clunky kind of control on it. It was, it, well, it was the first, but th- this whole idea of taking your music with you, you know, which we now have it on our phones and everything, and, and, and it being in, the, in your earbuds and what have you, which is a, diff- a totally different experience. It's very insulating. And the idea of having, because we all, you know, when I was growing up, it was boom boxes and it was like, you know, everybody had like a, a tape machine with a couple of speakers or maybe one when you started out. And maybe this is, it, it feels like we haven't found the, the device for that to kind of take over for, for this generation. It's all sort of just fairly crappy speakers in phones and it's just an irritant rather than a meaningful musical experience. Mm, which leads us... Well, Gaz, yeah, because you've got... You brought, you brought something in, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I think this thing's really cool and I, I just thought I'd like to th- show it to everybody. It's called a, a mini rig. and Well, this is in its case, if I take it out. It's a speaker and it's a... It's not a... It's not a wireless speaker, so you do need to connect it with a wire. Um, but what's quite interesting about this is um, it's got a build quality, which you really have to kind of experience, really. It's, it, it's like really solid. It's made of sort of aluminium. And it's made in Bristol, funnily enough. And the guys who've made it have got like a background in making PA speakers. And, um, and like you can see... If I hold it to the camera there, you can see that the um, the connections for it... Is that an in and an out? Or it, well, it's or quite through. clever. It's got a high-gain input and a low-gain input. And the reason why I thought I'd mention it is quite nice is because for for a speaker for, like, iPad apps... And I, really, what it was is, like, playing with Nave um, on the iPad. Uh-huh. You know, unless you've got your iPad connected up to your studio monitors... Uh, or you've got really good headphones plugged in. You know, when you're playing these synthesizers out of the built-in speaker at the iPad, you know, it's kind it's of... It's not a very thrilling experience. It's not that thrilling. And a lot of the, a lot of the synths sound quite similar out, out of that. But what's quite nice with a speaker like this is it, it's kind of almost... It's kind of got like a heritage, like a PA speaker in a way. It's so loud. You wouldn't believe how loud it is. Can you just plug guitar straight into it as well? Uh, I actually, well, what I did yesterday was I plugged, um, I plugged, uh, no, I plugged the output into my iPad, but then I plugged into the iPad with my Apogee Jam and was using it as a rehearsal and so that all the sound, using a, like an amp simulator on the iPad coming oh, out right. here. And it was pretty decent. It's loud, gosh. But what's good about it, because you've got the low gain input as well as the high gain input, if you put in sort of synthesizers and use a lot of um, resonance and... I'm going to see if I can get something to plug into it. Ah, do so, yeah. But if you, you know, because it's got the... You just feel like you've got a lot of headroom. And it's, uh, um, and it's got a battery built into it and it lasts for 60 hours or 50 to 60 hours on a charge, single charge. So I was like... This is a great touring um, speaker. You know, you can... Uh, Good bottom end? N- it's not that great. It's okay. It's 100 hertz, pretty much. 
But it has got an analog limiter built into it as well, which is quite nice. So it just, um, it, 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 rather than most of these speakers, as soon as you put any volume into them, they just crap out, you know, they just can't ha- handle it. But this seems to have a really decent amount of headroom and it's loud. You know, for bottom end, I was kind of putting it in the corner a little bit just to sort of get, just to get a bit of a bass tip up. But they're actually, they, I was lucky enough, I went to the, um, I went to the Mini Rigs um, sort of HQ yesterday and I was, um, I was lucky enough to, uh, to try out the new subwoofer that they've got coming out in August. Uh, and alongside this, it was just, um, it was astonishing. It, it sounded like a PA, but you know, it sounded really good. Are you in the, head, are you in the line in there, Nick? What's the damage? This about eighty five pounds. Oh, okay. Yeah. So comparable with this boom bolt thing, then really. It is, but you know, when you see what these things they're made, I don't know. It's like it's just got much more. It's got no volume on it. So is that the high gain or the low gain? We're in high gain at the moment. Uh, low gain at the moment. Yeah, that does right. actually sound quite beefy. I must say, so yeah, that was that was very impromptu and under <laughs> under rehearsed. <laughs> but um, under demonstration. Part of the reason I got it was for my OP1, really, just to sort of get a little bit more kind of uh, well for an OP1 and for a um, and for my iPad. But what's quite cool though is because it's mono speaker, but it's got a high gain and a low gain input. But if you if you plug in into one and then take a lead out of another one it'll you can link do it to stereo. another one and it'll do stereo how long does the battery last yeah 60 hours 50 to 60 hours wow on a charge or on is a, it on a char- yeah on a single charge yeah that's neat yeah and it's kind of got like a it's got an led light that kind of goes through different color phases to give you a battery life in you the can day never day. have too many lights <laughs> especially on something inert like a speaker mm. but that's i mean it raises an interesting question i mean what do you, do you just stick to your headphones and your buds i mean i know dave you've got your bows i mean do you actually actually bother with anything external or do you just only worry about it in the uh when you're in the privacy of your own studio uh no i mean when i go on holiday i've got a little what they what's that thing called but it's like a sound doc dude i'm like a bose fanatic aren't i which i know loads of people disagree with but um no i like that little sound doc thing it's just got batteries but is it a wave is it like a wave no, it's not that kind of super mega flashy radio. It's just a, it's just a kind of flat surface thing. It's got, it's a couple of hundred quid, but it's got a decent bottom end because that's actually what drives me nuts when I go away and you kind of, you know, the missus is like, oh, can we have some music on while you're doing the barbecue in the sun? And I'm like, and all you can do is, and you just like, I just want to throw it in the pool. You know what I mean? Just those yeah, I can see the thing you mean. Yeah. Whereas I quite like this little boom bottle thing apart from that nauseating advert i quite like this because it's just like i figure that in 10 years time i'm gonna have no high frequency hearing anyway so i can just kind of sit on this maybe and listen to my music through my bottom (laughs) 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 it's gonna be like that what's that what was that film oh god with the dj who loses his hearing it's all gone pete tong it'll be like that that's what i'll be like ah well that's something to look forward to eh, man 
Yeah, you need something a bit more. Um, maybe they do a larger bottle for the uh, elder gentleman. I was hoping for a smaller bottle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna hijack it. Mark, you wanted to come in there. Please tone it. No, tone it up. I'm so shocked. I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, I th- well, the one thing that doesn't appeal to me with that thing Gaz is waving around is the wires. I want something that doesn't have wires. Interesting. Um, One um, thing in the HQ yesterday, they were showing me some prototypes of some wireless things. And um, well, I want it to go over Wi-Fi. It needs to be able to create itself as an AirPlay unit. Well, I mean, those sort of things. Better quality than Bluetooth. It's just again, if you want to use it for any musical, yeah, yeah, the latency will always kill it. I mean, this is what I decided in the end. I've tried everything virtually now in to, to. to try to get that low latency over wireless and just forget about it it's just unless there's some other thing happen right now i mean bluetooth 4 i thought that was going to have lower latency but bluetooth 4's main kind of selling point is it's very low power power rather than low latency i want to say i I remembered now what i was going to say i was playing with a jawbone Mm. in um dixon's and I recommend this, actually. This is good for... I think anybody who's listening to this podcast who's got an iPhone needs to go and do this because it's really good fun. You take your iPhone and you fill it up with a whole load of really strange and bewildering sounds. And then <laughs> go into Dixon's, uh, and I did this. I docked my iPhone to the jawbone in Dixon's. And those things are like a little brick. It's an unbelievably loud speaker. But the thing is, once you've docked to Bluetooth, you can then walk away. So you walk maybe 100 yards across the store, and then you just start playing really strange things, like people soaring through wood and stuff. <laughs> Everyone's like turning around. <laughs> what is that? But I found that I, could, I got all the way to the checkout, and I was playing sign sweeps through it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the whole store was like turning around going, what is that? And then my, my partner turned around to me, and she said, Mark, is that you? And I was like, oh, oh. Busted. So does that also, when you're paired, can you not be, you can't be kicked off? So if you paired sure. with it, that would be quite funny. Unless they switch it off, it, you could only... Uh... I, I don't know about that. Actually. I mean, I don't think anybody had really kind of worked out what was going on. It was I'm, just like I'm the liking... was playing up, making these strange sounds. I'm, I'm liking the idea, I'm liking the idea of this kind of gorilla... Uh, Gorilla Bluetooth um, subversive uh, sounds. In the, that's brilliant. I like that. Yeah, it was fun. Really good fun. Well, when I tried out the mini rig, was actually in Bar- Barcelona Airport last week. Um, uh, one of the um, one of the uh, techs had one and was showing it to me. And I plugged the OP1 into it, and he was really wanting to show me how loud it goes. And honestly, it's astonishingly loud when you plug it in. And so I was doing all this really crazy stuff. And it was it, it was so loud. And these men came running because it was in the airport. They came running to see what the, you know have some security guys. <laughs> and it was just oh, it was so funny because it was just like the most evil. I mean, that OP one can make the most yes, evil can, noises. <laughs> That's funny, actually. There are some great. Um, you could do some great things. There's all sorts of things you could play over a Bluetooth speaker in a in a public space <laughs> that you shouldn't. So yeah, that'd be an interesting one. Mm. I, yeah, <laughs> I want to go and do some. I want to go and do some of that now. Mark, it's like a candid. Yeah, I think that's a great. I think that's. Yeah. The, there's got to be a yeah. show title in there somewhere. I'd like. I think recording announcements would be good. Ding dong. Would Beyonce please make herself known? <laughs> we know you're in here. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great idea. Public address announcement. Yeah. <laughs> that's brilliant. You could get. Who was that guy who do, used to do? Uh, used to phone. Um, 
Uh, he was like he wore dreads, but he was a very posh English guy. He or not wore dreads, had dreads. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, uh, Victor Louis Smith. Victor Louis Smith used to do that. He used to ring, play people up, and uh, and sort of highly Selassie. Yeah. And uh, could you? Uh, yes. And could you say uh, I'm at Babylon and Ting? You know, and all that kind of stuff. Just brilliant, kind of yeah, uh, jolly japes. Um, gosh, it feels like we might be at a kind of uh, a good point. Unless I've got. Is there anything else I want to cover here? Um, I that, did like that five records. That was a great. Oh, the five records. All right, let's do a bit of that then. I've got the, this is another thing. Creative limitations. It seemed to be because we've uh, been running this series uh, ourselves uh, called um, Limitators, which is by a guy called Ian Affleck, and he wrote an introduction a couple of weeks ago, and then we um, we ran his first article where he just basically made a tune out of. Uh, sine waves. I'm going to have to try and dig that up. But in the meantime, uh, th- this video also came out, which was kind of fun. So I'll see if we can play this. Uh... <laughs> I can't remember which one it was. It's not that one. You see how we go? It's not that one. So not that one. Not that one either. It must be this one. I haven't got it. So I'm afraid I can't play it. I thought I had it put in the system. That was a bit irritating and stupid of me. Uh, basically, it was uh, dub. Ah, what they called? They were called um, Dub Lab, and they made a, a really kind of funky half-hour program where they they joined up with uh, three DJs, LA DJs, uh, Daedalus, J Rock, and Nobody. They're called, and basically they gave them five bucks, and they could buy five records in the thrift store, and they could um, then they could make tunes on just using those uh, the vinyl. They couldn't have any samples. They could cut it up. They could do all sorts of things, but they couldn't have any other sound sources. And at the end of it, they they made their own vinyl, and they were all given a copy, and they had to go back into the record stores and leave copies in all of the bins <laughs> so that they would then that recycle video. with it. I, I, that was just a really neat idea. Uh, and I'm sadly extremely embarrassed to have not had that um, video up there. I'll see if I can find it now, but I'm going to have to... Uh, um, Oh, here we go. Yeah, I can play it. I'm sure I can play something. What, if you talk amongst yourselves, I'll see if I can find all the things that I didn't actually have lined up that I thought I was going to have lined up. There was something else I was going to go and get as well. Um, so to- they could use whatever techniques, they could use whatever software they want, as so long as they only just sampled those records. That's yeah, right. One of, one of the guys had like a DJ70. Do you remember those Roland DJ70 things? Yeah, I, I like those. They were a little, great. A little Vicky Vicky scratch thing, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very it impressive. It was interesting to see them doing it in very, very different ways, actually. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a bit rambling, I thought. It, w- it could have been a bit more, um, uh, you know, finely edited, as it were, but it was a great, and uh, they're very charismatic individuals, and I really enjoyed watching what they, what they did. I'm just going to find this article by Ian Affleck as well. You carry on. There. You had to get past the whole hipster vibe. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of man-bagging going on there, wasn't there? <laughs> as Let soon as I got past that, I was oh, like, oh, here we go. really cool. I think I can play a bit of this. This is on uh, playing on Vimeo, and this is uh, dub- so. If I just, uh, I'll turn. I'll actually turn it on. Great graphics, I must say. They did a brilliant. Bit. So they they basically go to all these record uh, shops, dig it out, and they're all sort of very dryly witty. Uh, this, I'm just. I, all I seem to be able to do is clip to very dull parts of the movie, but actually, there's some really good bits to it. And then at the end. They make a record, and uh, there they go. They're four four records all yeah, cut into an individual, and then they go and place them in record stores, which I think comes on a bit later on. So they go, they're caught sneaking them back into their record stores. But there's some lovely. Uh, I'd like to hear actually. There were no links to the uh, original to what they did. I think these are some clips from it. And some of them are fairly uh, inventive individuals. 
Uh, Dave, you said you wanted to do this, so help me out of a hole here. I've dug for myself. Say some stuff that's really interesting. No, I was just really impressed. You know, we talked about this before, didn't we? The whole uh, recycle thing versus landfill. And I was like, actually, I love all of this kind of... The hipsters call it upcycling. But, you know, it's no different to kind of sampling and stuff like that. And I love the idea of getting these old kind of kitsch records and stuff. It took me a little... Like I say, it did take me a little while to get past the whole hipster vibe. But I just thought it was a brilliant idea. Tread lightly on the earth and use these things again and again and again. And the idea of them putting that album back... Or the you know the four um, records back into record stores. I, yeah, and that was very neat. Never meet again. In fact, it reminded me. I, I, it's slightly off topic, but um, there was an Eagles documentary, and I don't like the Eagles, but I did watch this, and it, it was, was good, wasn't it? Yeah. But I love the idea of that. The Eagles' greatest hits being like one of the biggest selling albums ever, and they wanted it to open out so that it was a complete. You know, the four sections opened at the gatefold and then it opened out again. So it was this giant poster with the eagles and the eagle and the cloud and the mountain and then all the way down to the campfire. But then the record company exec kind of went, this is stupid, just glue the thing together. So now you open it and the eagles are upside down around the campfire and it just makes no sense at all. I really like that. I thought that was quite cool. I could see a kind of parallel with this. But yeah, no, really cool. Liked it. And actually, the music that came out of it was great. Uh, yeah, I would. I, well, the only thing I couldn't find was any sort of links to somewhere where we could actually hear it in full, because I, I would really have liked to have done that. A bit more documentation on it, so we could have a bit more kind of... I like that j Rocks thing. And again, you know, we, we had one of the guys from My Monster on the show ages ago, and they did that, the Gunter, whatever it was, choir, that Daydreaming Blue, where they sampled that. And what was funny about that was that then their version of Daydreaming Blue got picked up in the US. Yeah, and then a load of hip hoppers started sampling that, so then it became like they got flown it was out recycled, to the US yeah. not, to be not Buddy Rich, like beats people for the for the hip hop guys, and they were saying, you know, they were like fish out of water. The whole thing, this recycling and recycling, everything eating itself. It's quite strange. It's a, yeah, it's a great um, idea. I mean, we've talked about limitations before, but this uh, I just want to play a bit of the. Well, maybe actually, what I'll do is I'll play the tune that. Uh, uh, um, Ian Affleck put together with sine waves um, mm. out because then we can listen to it and it'll be uh, it'll be our, our usual play out thing. And I know um, uh, Gaz, you kind of up for limitations and what have you. I mean, are you, are you still in love with your OP one and making stuff on it? Because I know you got burned fairly heavily by losing a load of uh, I, yeah m- material. I, and then when I was in Australia and on the, the long flights, I I did another um, filled up another uh, I filled up the tape again. And I went to get it out of my bag to show my cousin once I got back to Britain. And as I got it out of the bag, I could see the disc was formatted and the disc formatted. And I don't know how. Oh, oh. Jesus. So that's the second time I lost all my work. Uh, that is not good, is it? No. I, I, you, what you need to do is as soon as you've done something, mm. you need to record it and log into your iPhone or yeah. something via well, a lead. Well, mm. yeah, yes. I'd... Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> so, yes. Yeah, so that was so twice now I've lost my entire work. <laughs> But, but do I have I fallen out of love with it? No, have I? Have I? Heck, I was kind of strangely. I was quite. I was kind of pleased in some respects as well because I thought, okay, I just done that. It's gone. No, no big deal. Next thing, which it's sort of. I don't know. Uh, well, let me ask you this: Have you actually got the results of anything that you finished on the uh, on the OP one? There's there sort of this mystical. I, it's like the fisherman, the one that got away. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, no, but in a way, that's absolutely right. It is. Like, I kind of think, oh, that was pretty cool, and not being able to listen to it means that it's the memory of it's so much sweeter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting idea. Mm. 
Mark? Um, well, before I go, before I say anything about the record thing, while I remember it, I did the opposite of this with my QY20 recently. I sold my QY20 and I took everything that I'd made in the QI20 out and put it into Logic. And I was astonished at how rubbish it was. <laughs> <laughs> so my beautiful memory of all this stuff I made in 1993, it was like I pulled it out of the QI20 and I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, my songwriting has significantly improved since then. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we should do something similar to this. It would be kind of fun, wouldn't it, to go to... Um, to the Oxfam store and buy five records and like see what we could come up with because we all do similar kind of things. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Uh, uh, the limitation. Maybe we could do a, uh, um, an episode of the limitations thing that uh, Ian has done and based on a similar kind of principle or something along those lines. I feel wholeheartedly stealing the idea might be uh, might be frowned upon, but uh, yeah, it's a good idea for an exercise, definitely. I mean, I like that they recycled the artwork as well and made that. Uh, cover out of all the covers of all the records, didn't they? And kind of mm. span it into one kind of cover. And then that there were four different records which all had uh, a section of the back on it. And then they, the best part, really the best part, is putting it back into the system so somebody else could discover it. Yeah, that so was, that was brilliant. And, and to design the cover so that somebody would go, wow, what's this? And then to have the golden ticket in there where it explains what it's all about and everything. I mean, I just... It, that that's kind of like mm. that's like taking something like geocaching mm -hmm. and plonking it into the middle of the world of music. That's Banksy that's did like. it, didn't he? Do you remember when um, Paris Hilton, you know, that great musical behemoth, released her debut album, and Banksy, on the day of the release, had gone in and oh, I'd got people maybe to help him, I don't know, and just put different versions of her album with all new songs on the cd and and he put it in loads of record shops and it's got old pictures of like an afghan hound with a blonde wig on who looks <laughs> remarkably like Paris Hilton. uh and and then those cds are worth thousands yeah i'm sure oh no that's that's a shame isn't it I, I, but i I'm well I, maybe, the, maybe the goal is and the reason why we can't find links to this maybe the goal is that somebody in the world needs to now go out in the world and find those four records and try and figure out what the, where they are. That's a, there's a novel in there somewhere, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, good, great idea. Well, maybe we should uh, look at that, and that, that's not a bad idea. And I'll, I'll pitch uh, something along similar lines to Ian, because what I've done also is create a SoundCloud group where people can have a go at these challenges and upload the tracks that they've done. Mm -hmm. So I think that could be kind of... I did a sine wave jam actually, and about ooh, long time ago, I, I'd organised it. What it tastes like? Twelve thirty. No, <laughs> funny. I'm sorry, I couldn't help that. Very bland, really smooth. Natural. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we had a yeah, we had a jam session, and and the restriction was we could only use sine wave. So I thought it was quite interesting that because I thought, oh yeah, it's a similar idea. Just that he just used a bit. He got a bit more creative with the synthesis. Mm. Synthesis. That's what I meant to say. Um, I like this whole concept of like, um, you know, back inventing things. I, I'd invented a motorcycle a while ago called a SIP Excalibur, and I was going to build one and kind of put it in a museum and see if people realised that it had actually been built in this century and not in the late 1800s. And 
things like that kind of always fascinate me. And then the other thing, the other thing, stealing backwards. This is like when they put those records back into the record store. There's a covert operation going on there, and I've I've done this at boot sales where I take things to boot sales and then put them on people's stalls and then walk off, and that leaves the person with an extra item they didn't know they'd got, and then they've got to try and price it and sell it. So that's kind of a, an interesting. <laughs> it, taking taking things into charity shops and leaving them behind, and not getting caught doing it. When I was a kid, I used to allegedly go shoplifting. And I used to get absolutely terrified before I allegedly pinch something and get this kind of feeling in my stomach. But but when you're trying to give stuff away without people knowing that you're giving it to them and leave stuff behind, it you get the same feeling. And it, so that's why it's stealing backwards because it's like all the kind of fear of like oh my god of getting caught and having to having it, to explain. It, yeah. <laughs> what so do you I, think I, you're I mean, doing? I, um, I uh, <laughs> I wanted sorry, to give you I this. left it behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, so I like the idea of turning it on its head. That's a very interesting idea. Right, well, I think we're probably at the point where we can safely say uh, thank you and goodbye to our, our guests. Uh, and I will play us out with a bit of uh, uh, the limitators. Maybe I'll do that as we talk, and then that will have a sort of uh, some sort of unique effect. So if I play that now, um, this is cartoon food i'll just play this so this is right here i'll just turn it down uh, and in the meantime we'll say thank you very much we'll go to dave spears first thank you very much dave for joining us from geforcesoftware.com thank you great and uh then we'll go well come back to me and i'll just actually I'd like to point out again this is all done with sine waves all of these sounds are created like pitch envelopes distortion yeah there is effects and stuff on it well, it's getting going. Uh, and we also say thank you very much to Mark Tinley for joining us too. Yeah, I think there was a few snares and a bit of distortion to give it that kind of extra white noise stuff. And a very tight envelope. I used a Reason, I believe, the Simpson Reason. So, um, yes, thank you, Mark, for joining us as well. I very much appreciate you, you being much. here. And, again, for previewing your haircut to the world. Thank you. That's very kind. <laughs> and, of course, we're now going over to Gaz Williams, who's over there um, in... He's the highest res amongst us. Oh, that's not Gaz Williams. That's, that's Gaz Williams. I'm terribly sorry. Oh, yes. Thank you very much for joining us as well, Gaz. Um, it's, no, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Good. And, um, and now we'll just continue to play out with... Ian's track so thank you very much everybody 